Hello, and welcome to UX Soup, a podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner, and I am joined today again by my co-hosts, Lisa Cooper. Hello. And Diana Franganilo. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you both? Super. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very well. We're going to have a a bit of a, a, a serious topic today. Smart home ecosystems, whether it be smart door locks, smart thermostats, home monitoring cameras, smart appliances, they can have some pretty compelling use cases, even if there are still a ton of UX issues, such as fragmentation, ease of setup programming, and all, all other issues. But there's another darker aspect of the smart home that we wanted to talk about today. There was a research article presented earlier this year at CHI, which is the Computer Human Interaction Conference. This paper was written by Dana McKay and Charlene Miller, both from the University of Melbourne in Australia, on how smart home tech can be abused and how UX researchers and designers can help address this problem. So as a warning, before we begin, some of these stories are about stalking, coercive control, and domestic abuse. So just be warned. So what I want to do is talk about some of the use cases that were in this article and talk about ways that UX designers can help mitigate them. So this first example is about the Nest smart thermostat. So it's one of the thermostats that you can program you know, from an app on the phone and is smart and kind of knows uh, previous usage and all that. And the quote that comes from, uh, they, they got these quotes from uh, online message board places generally. And this one said, we've just got the Nest and it's driving me crazy. I do feel the cold, and I'll turn the heating up if I feel cold. He has the app on his phone, and he'll turn it down even when he's not in the house. He's out tonight, and he turned it down as he said, I thought I'd gone to bed and forgotten to turn it down. He wants it at a certain temperature all the time. I like it hotter. Um, am I being unreasonable if he won't stop messing with the heating even when he's not home? So here's this case of, yes, you can control the thermostat from your app, and this person is changing it to what he wants it to be without kind of regard for the person that's in the house. He's not even in the house. That is an age-old problem, though, isn't it? But normally the person's in the house where one person will go turn down the thermostat because they, (laughs) you know, they run hot and then the other person runs cold, so they'll turn it up. And so that's been a, a source of conflict, I think, for a long time and I think this just gives a person a way of more deviously doing it (laughs) (laughs) yeah there has been always this kind of like a fight in the offices saying during summertime where women tend to wear lighter clothes and guys might have been in us wearing a suit and they always want temperature low and you want it you know higher because otherwise you get cold so, um, yeah, I think this, Lisa is right. It's a little bit diffuse when, when the person is not even in the house. I mean, I understand that they might be trying to save money and the environment. But um, honestly, I want to say here that the problem is not, is not that the technology is, is the, the person they married. 
Yeah, that's the yeah. communication between the two of them, really. Yeah, I'm like, not sure. Talk about it. Not sure there's much you can do because even if they weren't doing it by the app, they'd come in and do it. Well, and that's that's fine, but at least they're there to do it. Yeah. If the person's not even there, you know, it could be a way of of messing with them. It could be abused even more than what's there, mm. changing the environment on them without their knowledge. So for yeah. me, it's like in that situation, I'd want if the person is doing it from outside the home. If there's a person in the home, either get their permission or let them override it or you know, provide some option there so that the person that actually has to experience that environment has well, some say. It, it should be linked yeah, to location. It should be linked to location, shouldn't it? That you should not be able to operate it. Well, no, because you might want to operate it away from home. You might want remote operation. Scratch that. Well, no, you can have remote operation if nobody else is home. Yeah, Perhaps, perhaps there's, if, that's a way to design that out. That well, I think I think you might have somebody that don't know how to use the system and is still in the yeah. house and they still want to, to do to operate remotely. So I think I think maybe just should give the option to lock out somebody if by a person that is actually in the house because that person would know what they are doing and they could prevent from other people messing with it, but still allow if if the intention was good and genuine. The thermostat could be smart enough to know who is in the house mm-hmm. and have it be set to their preferences and not let it be overridden. Here's an example of Alexa being used in such a case to, to monitor uh, somebody else. So the, the quote is, I decided to see what happened if I went away for the weekend. I suspected he would call her whoever she was. I bet he would make plans because here's my big secret. I controlled the app that controlled our Alexa. And it records everything. That was the basis of my secret trap. He would have this mystery woman over. They would put on music, say something like Alexa, play All American Rejects. He would say it and then she would play with the Alexa. And I have her voice. I have my proof. I have recordings proving he cheated. I recognized her voice. I might be controversial here. Mm -hmm. I know that privacy and, you know, ethical considerations are important. But ethical considerations are as well, you know, betrayal is part of, you know, is quite unethical itself. So I understand that in a non-pathological situation or relationship, you might not be spying on each other. So I'm assuming that that quote was taken from somebody that was already suspicious and just wanted the confirmation before walking away from a relationship. Uh, Let's say that it could appear that I am justifying it somehow. I wouldn't justify to spy on a person, you know, without any justification. Anyway, you might argue that some people are very, you know, twisted and are always thinking that the other person are cheating on them. But I mean, it's like when you have heard these cases in which um, people have placed cameras to spy on nannies. I mean, sometimes it's because, you know, the toddler had bruises or something. So they were suspicious and they confirmed what they thought. So mm, that's a good example. I need, yeah, I think you need to be in a position of mistrust to mm-hmm. unless you are you have kind of like you know mental mental health issues or something. So you might be in a position of mistrust to behave like that. Otherwise, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit naive, but I didn't think that people are quite, you know, well behaved, but I'm what do you guys think? That's a tricky one, isn't it? It's 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 privacy. If that's that person's home, they should be able to 
have privacy, even if they're doing something that they may not want their partner to know. But on the other hand, you bring up a good point. Oh, I don't know. It's hard when it's the other, when both of the people live in the same house. Yeah. And it's, it's been made at least clearer that these things are recorded and that you can access these recordings and that you can see them or hear them. So, yeah. He's like hiring a private detective, right? When you... Right. And the only way around that, if we wanted to up the level of of privacy, would be to be able to detect whose voice it is and only Yeah, only answer the the individual. Well, only allow that individual to hear the, the recording back. I think Alexa here is just an example of a solution. I think she might be determined to use anything. Mm-hmm. Call it Alexa, call it, you know, a spy camera, call it whatever. So I think you raised a good point on Alexa. So, I mean, sometimes it's, it's creepy. I mean, we have research on people, you know, feeling a little bit concerned about privacy. But as I mentioned, I think... I think this is like hiring, this use case is like hiring a private detect, uh, detective. So I think she might have been determined to to use any mean to to not to be called paranoid and to decide what to do. So what about this one? Because I find this one to be a little creepier. Uh, the quote from this is, my wife hates the aspect that I know when her device comes or goes on the local LAN, the local area network, which creates an audit log of when she's at home so Mm. i i look at i don't but this person looks at the audits of what devices are connecting up to wi-fi at home to basically find out his wife's comings and goings i that to me is getting to when you add up all the things together that's how you can see where you can really do some harm it should not be up to someone who set up the system to be able to control that system. It needs to be a, a level playing field where everyone that uses a system should be able to use that system. It should be a multi-user system. It should not be, oh, the prerogative goes to the person that set it up and then therefore they can see where that person comes and goes. You should be able to have your own privacy and, and not allow yeah. that to happen. You run into the issue of, tech savviness again someone might know that that's someone might not even know that they could Mm. i don't know how to go access my wi-fi log to see what devices have hooked up to it well maybe i should but but i don't that's a design issue then isn't it everything should be in plain language it should be very easy to do it should not be up to someone with a huge amount of tech savvy to set it up in the first place it's supposed to be for everybody but that's a very idealistic view isn't it but that's what User-centered design is supposed to be for. Agree, but on the other hand, if you have to think of, I mean, you have to think of and to go through all the use cases, but this is an unintended, potentially an unintended use case. So maybe it's difficult for people to anticipate or for user designers to anticipate that somebody is trying to do that or to use that to control a person in and out. I mean, I remember when I was working on on a car manufacturer company, there was a case called the mistress use case. And first time I heard about it, I was I got really surprised, you know, because I wasn't in the mindset of a person owning a vehicle and going to visit her mistress, his mistress or something. So mm-hmm. I, just, I just couldn't conceive it. 
it I don't think it made me um worse designer. It's just that I haven't put myself in that mindset. Once I, you know, I understood other users that I might be concerned about that use case, maybe you can put the countermeasures and empathize more with the situation. But I really think that this is really difficult to anticipate. I, I suppose it's a bit like uh, when you design a food processor. You have to anticipate all the potential ways of abusing yeah. it. Hmm. You shouldn't be able to stick your hand in it or, you know, yeah. operate it without it being hooked up properly, yeah. like all the safety issues. And I think that's what we need to do with, with smart home. Like that, that is. Well, we've talked about issues. doing this for self-driving cars, you know, yeah. the whole Tesla example of, of, mm-hmm. you know, tricking the steering wheel, mm. you know, we have to be able to design for misuse and yes it's a hard job and it is like diana said it's hard to imagine all the ways that a product's going to be misused prior to launch but after it's launched and you start to hear some of these stories and then, yeah yeah that, get on it yeah we, get on it respond on to it. it yes yeah i think maybe one of one of the things that could happen sometimes is that um not a long time ago kind of like six weeks ago i jumped into a vehicle and one of the things that I found it quite uh, novel on that vehicle is that you could, there was a really easy way. So you just press a button on the screen and you provide the company with feedback on their systems and on the features. I found it really refreshing. So it was really easy to feedback on, I really like this or I don't really like this because of these reasons. So I think it, w- it would be good if more companies were providing with a really frictionless way of providing feedback. And maybe you can say, uh, you know, with this uh, smart home lock, I feel a stock <laughs> or, yeah. you know. So at the end of this paper, they talked about some of the design recommendations and what UX designers can do in, to help mitigate this type of misuse for smart home devices. And some of these we've touched on already, like Lisa, you're talking about making systems genuinely multi-user and trying to overcome that issue of having people that have different levels of tech ability or tech interest Mm. but and that's a really difficult problem to make everything as accessible and have them aware of everything that's accessible to them um, equally i think you also have to have and maybe this was covered in the paper i don't recall but i i think you also have to have female perspectives on your team because i i i think it would have been one of the first things i would have thought about Yes, that was actually one of the other recommendations is to apply a feminist or relational lens to privacy and cybersecurity. Yeah, it's, uh, yes. It's just like having more diversity on a team in any product design. And they actually bring up an interesting point about this because typically in tech, when we talk about privacy of data, it tends to be very individualistic. It's like, oh, I don't want my data leaked to some third company or some hacker mm. or something but it's not about oh how could anybody else in my close circle or around me or you know uh, an abusive partner how can i how do i keep that data private from anybody that i don't want to have it don't you think though if they'd have done extensive user research that point wouldn't that point i think would have come up I mean, there are people that have elderly people that they look after that they don't want accessing this kind of 
functionality. There are going to be people that have been in abusive relationships. You know, abuse is, is very common, you know, for women to experience. I, I'm actually shocked that this kind of thing hasn't come up. And perhaps it's because it's a technology first design situation where they're just thinking, oh, look at these new functions and features. Let's integrate it all in. And I just don't know that the research has been done up front. I don't I think they would have touched upon this kind of thing had they have talked to a wide range of, of people, wide range of potential users of this technology because it's not just individuals it's individuals with family with kids with elderly parents dependents single women i mean it's a lot of demographics you're touching on or if the you know it might be that the cybersecurity people might be aware of it but the ux people might be sitting somewhere else oh yeah siloed in the organization more of a collaboration between the yeah. designers, the UX designers, and those that are taking care of privacy, cybersecurity issues to be able to yeah. identify those things that they should look out for. I think it's closely related with uh, what Lisa has said, but sometimes I feel that the setup process of some devices puts you off. So I'm, I'm yes. going to say that I am kind of like a, an early adopter or you know a technology freak, but I am not at the other side of the spectrum. But for example, the thermostat we have at home, I think the pain of, of going through the setup uh, should be only suffered by one person, tops. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is that um, if, you, if you had a nicer interface that is easy to deal with and particularly easy to, easier to remember, because for example, my work patterns have changed since last winter. So I am at home more often than before. So I need the heating more often. And last time we programmed the uh, thermostat was last year. So it's impossible to remember <laughs> how to do the, the damn thing again. And um, so, yeah. So if, if it was easier, uh, people would be less put off by the idea of controlling it or having access or having the power and would feel more empowered to, you know, to use the devices and to make the most of them as well. And you wouldn't be slay, you know... Uh, subject to what other person wants to do with them well there was one thing i think i remember recall reading about the potential to prevent someone from using analog switches yeah and by and then using the technology to control environments and things like that apparently the the switches were be stable so if you touch them they cannot be controlled by voice. So, I mean, he was really fighting her to control them by voice rather than control them, you know, by touch as she was used to doing. Yeah. So the I know one of the design recommendations was to never cut off the use of analog switches. It should always yeah. be something you, be you're able to do as a workaround yep. so that people, going to Diana's point, people who aren't as tech savvy are able to still control things in an analog way and that way you take control away from someone that may have more technology experience that that way they don't control your lives because that's a danger isn't it if you set up the home where you can't control anything in conventional ways that's where you can get into trouble 
Yeah, I think <laughs> any situation where you can control someone's environment, if there are multiple ways you can control it, is uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, it could be, I don't want to go far as torture, but it could certainly be. Well, if you can lock it, doors. It can, go and, some, it can go some down some dark paths. Yeah, if you can lock yeah. doors yeah. and windows and all sorts of other things, you could. There needs to be some anticipation of those situations. Yeah. And I guess the other thing would be just to be able to raise awareness, raise more awareness of this across the smart home industry. And I, and I hope that at least a little bit, We've yeah. been able to we'd be able to do that a little bit here. Get some women on your teams. Do your user research. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you have any questions about the smart home, uh, any other UX research, or send us any questions you may have or any show ideas, you can email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, have links to our UX research. And there you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.